Thank you for listening to the Love Your Bod Pod. Before we dive in, just my usual disclaimer that this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and does not substitute individual medical or mental health advice. Hello and welcome back to the Love Your Bod Pod. I'm your host, I'm Kara Karinsen-Belli. I'm a certified health coach and I help people heal their relationship with food and make peace with their body and amazing lives that they love step into their passion and their purpose and their bigness because mm. so much happens so much is possible when we make peace with food and our body because if you're listening it's likely that the struggle with food and the insecurities you have because of your body are holding you back in life and that is the main topic of today I am actually sharing with you the Unleash Your Inner Change Maker, Five Steps to Heal Your Relationship with Food and Step Into Your Purpose Masterclass that Tristan and I uh, hosted a couple of weeks ago. I don't know, three, two or three weeks ago. And the feedback was so incredible, like overwhelmingly positive. You guys sent emails, you direct messaged me, uh, letting us know, Tristan and I know how much value you got out of the masterclass. And it's because of that that I decided to post it on the podcast. It wasn't originally my plan or, you know, it wasn't Tristan and I's plan to repost this anywhere else. However, we just got so much good feedback that we felt like, you know what, let's put it out there so that for those of you that missed the webinar, can listen to it and get the same value that the other women who have already listened to it or men have gotten. Um, around the 33 to like the 36 minute mark, roughly, depending how long this intro is, is when we actually get into the Q&A. So there's a really good portion of um, Tristan and I answering questions from those who were on the live. So I left it in here because both Tristan and I felt like it was a really great dialogue. And then one of the things that I was thinking about while I was um, uh, editing this to go live was one of the questions was about affordable ways to get help. And something that I didn't say on the live that I want to say now is you can go to the work by Byron Katie and actually do the work on her website. So Byron Katie is one of my favorite mentors and teachers. And on her website, thework.com, or, the, or just Google the work by Byron Katie, you can actually do the work for free on her website and it is so transformational. It will change your life. So that is another um, incredible, helpful free resource that I didn't mention during the webinar that I wanted to make sure I got in here. So again, that's the work by Byron Katie. That's free. You can do it online. Um, okay. So without further ado, I hope you get a lot out of this webinar. If you do, please let me know. Shoot me a DM. Uh, on Instagram at Kara's Kitchen. And we did put together a worksheet for you that lists out the five steps. So if you're not taking notes while you're listening to this and you want to get the worksheet with the five steps, just shoot me a DM on Instagram and I will send you a link or you can shoot me an email um, and I will send you that. So typically just Instagram's the best bet though. So Kara's Kitchen. All right. Enough of me rambling. Let's get into this incredible webinar with Tristan, Unleash Your Inner Change Maker, Five Steps to Heal Your Relationship with Food and Step Into Your Purpose. 
Okay, so it is officially 1101. So since we're timely, we'll go ahead and get started. Thank you to all of you guys who have tuned in who are here to hang out with us for this amazing webinar. So Tristan, why don't you introduce yourself for those of those who don't, who maybe don't know you. Yes. Hello, lovelies. My name is Tristan Thibodeau. I am first a nutritionist and now I am also an empowerment and transformational coach. And ultimately, I help women to break free from the things that are keeping them small in life because I think every woman has the potential to majorly impact the world around them. And the only thing that usually holds us back is our own limiting beliefs and fears and insecurities. So I help women to break out of all of those limiting beliefs, essentially break out of the box that we keep ourselves in so that we can do the thing that we're put on this earth to do or that we want to do. That's what I'm about. Love that. Love that. Clearly with your unicorn horn. Yeah. <laughs> like I make my own rules. I make my own rules. <laughs> uh, and my name is Kara Safeli. For those of you that don't know me, I am a health coach and like Tristan also leaning into empowerment coach for coaching for women who really want to step into their power and purpose and who know that they're here to do really big shit. And for both Tristan and I, our relationship with food and our body is really what held us back. Mm -hmm. And so if you are a woman who is struggling with your relationship with food and your body image, and it's affecting your confidence, it's taking up brain space and energy and time, and it's leaving you exhausted and preoccupied, then mm -hmm. this webinar is for you specifically. We want to support you in healing your relationship with food and really allowing you to create the space so that you can step into your purpose and actually like do what it is you want to do with your life. So if you've had that feeling inside of you that like you're here for important big work, this mm -hmm. webinar is for you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So absolutely. If you feel held back in any way, this is going to help give you so much clarity and what you're going to be able to get out of this webinar is actionable steps. Kara and I have synthesized the process that we use in our own life to create the change that we now have for ourselves, to set ourselves free and to be the powerful badasses that you see in front of you. We're giving you the steps that we use to do that. And what you're gonna get is a really great inside perspective on those steps, how we started to take action, why we started to take action. And then you're gonna be able to apply that to your own life and get started on your own journey. Yes. Yeah. So just to give you guys an agenda of like what you can expect. So you, so you know what you're getting yourself into today, <laughs> what we're going to do is we're going to walk you through each of the five steps, like one through five, one at a time. And we're going to offer a little, a short little tidbit of our own personal story around each one of the steps, not only so, um, you can get to know what that possibly could look like, but perhaps it'll open something up for you. Uh, you know, hearing other people's stories can spark something within you. And so our goal is for you to start to discover more about yourself, not only through the steps, but through the sharing so that you can start to see where in your life you can apply each one of the steps. Mm -hmm. So let's dive right into step one. And oh, also we're gonna have a Q and A at the end. So if you have any questions throughout the webinar, please put them in the chat box and then stay to the very end if you specifically want to ask questions and get support right here on the live. We would love to interact with all of you if you have questions. So 
Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Do not hold back either. There are no, there's no judgment here. So there's no need to be shy. So anything that's on your heart that you need support with, feel free to reach out to us. That's what we're here for. And we can answer it right now. So first step, I'm going to take you way back to the beginning of my eating disorder. And this was when things were absolute shit. So for me, I was in a place where I didn't want to go out in public because I was so embarrassed by my body. I was literally pent up in my apartment with schoolwork, torturing myself, trying not to be in the kitchen, trying not to go near the fridge, trying not to eat outside of the really restrictive diet I had set for myself. And ultimately, I was just in a really low, insecure place. And where this took me was I was missing out on time with my friends. I wasn't confident to be intimate with my, in my relationship with my boyfriend. I would get anxiety anytime I had to travel or anytime that I had to be away from my you know, planned and prepared meals. So for me, it was just this whole structure of anxiety and stress that I had around me because I was so afraid of, of gaining weight or of my body looking different because I had it in my head that when my body looked perfect, I would be confident, I would be happy, and my life would be perfect. And ultimately, it took me the farthest away from that. I was in a place where I was really, really depressed and really, really anxious. And the first step that got me out of that was I hit a rock bottom moment where I literally was admitted into the psychiatric ward of our local hospital because I had the biggest anxiety attack I have ever had. I was curled up in a ball in the kitchen in my apartment crying, and I had to have my friends take me into the hospital. And in that moment, I realized the cost that my distorted relationship with food and with my body was causing in my life. I was missing out on so much, and I got to the point where I no longer wanted to live anymore. I no longer wanted to live the life that I was living. So the alternative that I had was to either no longer be alive or take action and do something about it. So step one is to get really present to the cost that this distorted relationship with food and having bad body image and feeling insecure in your body and wanting to change it, what that is costing you in your life. Like, what are you missing out on? How do you feel on a daily basis? What are you not doing because you're waiting for your body to look the way that you think it should? So step one is to get really, really, really present and take inventory of how this is impacting your life. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think that while we enter into our, um, like dieting or controlling our food or even just like trying to be healthy, we have the best of intentions mm -hmm. and, you know, diet culture will sell us this like fantasy, like Tristan, you had said, like, if my body's perfect, then like my life will be perfect or everything mm -hmm. will be okay. Or I'll be fine. Or I'll be confident or, you know, however it's showing up for you in your own life. And eventually it snowballs into this big, like hairy people pleasing problem where it takes mm -hmm. over your life and you're depleted and it's taking your time from you. And for me, it, I was just missing out on life because I was always up in my head. So, mm -hmm. so like Tristan said, step one is to get present to the cost of the eating disorder uh, or your disorder relationship with food. Like what is it taking from you? Because 
if we're not really clear on the negative impact it's having on our lives, like if we're not honest with ourselves about the fact that this struggle is taking our lives from us in all of these different areas, we're going to continue to stay in the struggle. We're going to continue in the patterns that we're in. So step one, get really present to the cost, like be real with yourself. So this is an invitation to self-reflect and to really look at what your life looks like because of your current relationship with food and your body. Mm -hmm. So like Tristan, I had a rock bottom moment, uh, like after a very typical binge and purge episode, I had, you know, bulimia for 10 years and I was lying on the bathroom floor crying and was like, I'm either going to die or I'm going to get better because I can't fucking live this way anymore. So it was that moment where I was like, this is taking my life from me. The only place to go is up. Mm-hmm. So step one is being real honest with yourself about where you're at and the impact it's having. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So let's go on to step two. Step two is to open up and be vulnerable about your struggles and then find a community that has gone through similar experiences so that you guys can support each other. So it's one, it's incredibly important to admit to yourself that you have a problem, which is Mm -hmm. step one, but step two is then opening up to other people. And actually that step can be incredibly scary, but it actually feels really good to open up with another human because we're social creatures, especially as women, we have the gift of gab Mm -hmm. and we're meant to be in community and connection. And so for me, I told my best friend that I had a problem. And then I went to a, um, anorexic bulimics anonymous meeting. I didn't go to many meetings, but it was really powerful for me to actually go and just like see, Oh, I'm not the only person dealing with this. Cause I felt mm-hmm. so isolated and alone and no one in my life knew. And so going to these meetings and seeing these other women, I was like, they look just like me. Like they're just normal women and being able to talk about it made me less ashamed. And it, and it just, it created the space to then go on to step three, which we'll get to, but go ahead, Tristan. Mm-hmm. How was this yeah. step like for you? Oh man, I was never someone to lean on anyone for support ever, ever. It just wasn't part of my family culture. It wasn't part of my friend culture. We just kind of grabbed ourselves from our bootstraps and kept going. So the, the point in my journey where I decided to start talking about what I was struggling with was a monumental shift for me because I had never actually admitted that I struggled with this. I maybe talked about not feeling very confident, but I had never, ever talked about the fact that I had a really, really messed up relationship with my body. And that meant that I would do terrible things to it. And for me, hearing another woman's story, which was actually your story, we, be, we, yeah, it was yours. We became friends. Like I'm just dropping stories on you left and right. You don't know what's going to come out next. Yeah, girl. So when, when I hooked up with you in Arizona, like mm, four years ago, something like that, two years ago, almost three, but two, <laughs> almost three. Yeah. yeah. So I had never really known another person that had vocally expressed that they struggled with an eating disorder. 
you know, because I grew up in a culture where you just don't talk about what you're struggling with. You just don't admit that you have a problem. That's how it was in my hometown. That's how it was everywhere. Mm -hmm. So for me to hear the courage that you spoke with in terms of admitting that you had a problem and also talking about your recovery process, I was like, oh, damn, damn, that's really powerful. That's really powerful. So for me, it was being willing to listen to other people's stories and not shy away from it because it can be a little it can be a little intense to hear similar experiences so just letting myself lean into that and also starting to open up and talk about it because mm-hmm. like you said you had no idea i was struggling when we first met because i hid it so well and that's kind of the reality of people that have eating disorders is most of the time we do everything that we can to hide it because mm. we're, we feel ashamed about it, right? Mm. So just getting through all of that and opening up and talking about it was huge for me. And it really motivated me to take more action in terms of healing and recovery. Mm. Yeah. And sometimes they're easy to hide because it just looks like you're being healthy and society's right. like, oh, you're being so good. Right. I wish, I wish I was ordering the salad too. You know, like society will yep. praise you. So it's mm. easy to disguise it as being healthy. Like, oh, exercise is good for you, you know? Yes. So So not only can we lie about the extent that our disordered eating is at, but it's also praised in our culture as well. So anyways, I I did not know that about me talking talking about my struggles with you. There you go. There's a little gas up for your Wednesday. (laughs) Gassing up the shoddy. Yeah. So hearing your story really motivated me to take action. And at that point, that's when I started to think about when this all started to happen and why. And for me, I had so much trauma before the eating disorder ever happened. I grew up in a household where there was regular emotional and physical abuse. So there was a lot of trauma around that. My parents were divorced and then they were together and then they were divorced. So I was really ashamed of that and grew up in, you know, in a school where people knew everything about you. So you were bullied for it. I was bullied for being more of like a sexually expressed teenager. And then I had some sexual abuse happen. So the eating disorder was not an isolated event for me. And just realizing that it was compounded by all of these other things made sense. And I realized that if I wanted to really break free from that, I had to heal not only on that level in terms of my body image and my relationship with food, but I also had to heal on this much deeper, deeper soul level with all of these other traumas that I had faced because they all compounded into the same energy that I was dealing with on a daily basis, which was just feeling really low and depressed and anxious all the time. So I needed help. I had to reach out because a lot of the time you can kind of scratch the surface on your own There's so much material out there on YouTube and books and blogs, and there's so much that you can do to kind of scratch the surface and get your journey started. And at a certain point, you're going to run into issues where you don't know what to do next, or you can't overcome a certain fear or disbelief that you have about yourself. And that's when it's really valuable to reach out to other professionals and coaches that can literally support you in the process of overcoming what it is that you're struggling with. So that was step three for me was like deciding 
to actively participate in my own recovery because I had started to scratch the surface. So I was dipping my toe in, but at a certain point, you've just got to take the leap. You've got to dive in because there's no point in tiptoeing for the rest of your life and not making a difference for yourself. And so taking that leap and deciding to actively participate and be like, you know what? Enough is enough. Enough is enough. I've realized that this is the problem for so long. I'm so unhappy and I'm going to commit myself to doing something and really make a difference. So for the past, you know, four years, I would say before I even met you, I was working with therapists on my old trauma. But once I decided to really commit, that's when I started working with coaches. I started going to retreats. I started going to speaking events. I started joining women's groups. I did everything I could find to help myself and actively participate in my own recovery. Yeah. Yeah. So step three is like actually deciding to commit Mm -hmm. to recovery because admitting you have a problem while is like kind of step one, Mm -hmm. uh, like admitting you have a problem isn't the same thing as like taking action and committing to do the work to get better. So step Mm -hmm. three is like really powerfully deciding that you're going to commit to recovery Mm -hmm. and really investing in that process. So Mm -hmm. Um, I like Tristan, like sought out coaches, sought out personal development, like have mm-hmm. made massive investments in myself, multiple women's retreats mm-hmm. to really support me in healing. And I really took my personal development and my mental health seriously. Mm-hmm. And I really invested in it. And honestly, it's like the best money I've ever spent. Seriously, um, I've never regretted a single penny that I've invested into my mental well-being and into no. my growth as a human being. Mm-hmm. And so just like really committing to recovery, like what that really looked like for me was just doing whatever it took, mm-hmm. like facing all of the fears, the fears that I had around like weight gain, mm-hmm. the fears that I had around losing control around food. Like I really had to face those fears because I was committed to getting better. Like I knew I wasn't going back. And so I was just committed to doing whatever it took. So step yep. three invest in yourself and commit to the recovery process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So step four, Tristan, you kind of shared a little bit about your person, personal story already with what step four is, but step four is understanding the other functions your eating disorder or your disordered relationship with food is serving. So really connecting the dots, like getting present to how the, disordered eating or the eating disorder, like how it served you, because it did serve a purpose. It, it had a function. Otherwise we wouldn't have engaged in those behaviors. Mm-hmm. So this is going to look different for every single one of you. But what this looked like for me was I, I it had multiple layers. <laughs> so we're going to give you the cliff notes of those layers. <laughs> um, I was very into boys and I thought that what was the most important thing for me was to be like nice to look at. Like I wanted to be desirable and I wanted them to like me. And I like really didn't want to have cellulite because I thought that if I had cellulite, my boyfriend at the time, I was like 15, I thought he'd dump me for another girl. Mm -hmm. And so that was like the first spark was like, oh, if I am thin and pretty, then like I won't be rejected by the people that I love by the man that I love. And so it was a way for me to find love and acceptance. So that was like one of the functions it served. Um, Then it became a coping mechanism because my home life was 
tumultuous. Tumultuous, blah, blah. That's a big word for me. Tumultuous. Um, thank you. Tumultuous. <laughs> Say it again. <laughs> tumultuous. Yeah, that one. Okay. So <laughs> words, words. Um, my parents had a very agrimonious divorce and um, it was devastating. You know, uh, they fought for a really long time. And so it was a way for me to like cope and to not deal with the stress. So I was a binge eater. Like I would lock myself in my bedroom and I would just like eat and eat and eat for hours. And so it was a way for me to escape the discomfort um, of that dysfunction that was happening within my family life. And then the other really big function that my eating disorder served was just how uncomfortable I was in life. I was so insecure. I really struggled with girlfriends. I had a deep sisterhood wound. I was really um, insecure in social settings, like not only in high school, but then in college and living in Los Angeles. I, I moved to Australia for my last year of college and I was just so incredibly anxious in social environments. I just never felt enough. I never felt worthy. I never felt cool enough. And I was like a shell of a person. Like I really struggled to like say hi to people or to like share my opinion because I was so afraid that it like wouldn't be cool enough. And the pressure of being in the world was so much to bear. And so I would, again, lock myself in my room to just eat so that I could check out and numb and like not deal with my anxiety that I felt. And so I had to really be honest about all of the things that my disordered relationship with food was serving so that I could actually heal those deeper things. So it was about love. It was about self-acceptance. It was about healing my relationship with my parents. It was about discovering who I am and learning to love and accept who I am for, for me, not just like this body. And it wasn't until I did that deeper healing work that I really felt like my food and my body image was in a solid place. And it wasn't going like, I fully believe that like it is solid and it's not something that is affecting me anymore. Mm -hmm. And I needed to do that deeper healing work so that I was no longer turning to food, trying to control food or trying to control my body to try to control my life. Mm -hmm. So I had to get to the deeper stuff. And that was like, you know, step four. So that's what it was like for me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I relate to your story a lot, especially with growing up with parents that were never meant to be together outside of bringing <laughs> children into the world, right? <laughs> so my parents, I grew up in a household where there was also constant fighting and constant screaming. I can remember laying in bed trying to go to sleep because I had school the next day and I would be awake until two or three in the morning because my parents were up all night screaming. And I also grew up with parents that didn't have a lot themselves growing up and they were very self-made entrepreneurs. So I grew up with the expectation that you are going to do great. You are going to do great in everything that you did. And my best was never good enough. I grew up with very, with a, both, I would say both my parents are very high achieving, but in particular, my dad, his standards were always top shelf. And so I grew up trying to be perfect all of the time because I had this wound from my family dynamic that I was going to be left, that I wasn't worthy of love, that my needs and my wants weren't valued. So I grew up trying to earn the approval of my parents, especially my dad. So because of that, I was always 
striving to be perfect. I had this high achieving type A workhorse mentality where I was always trying to be the best, top of my class, participating in every single sport, every single activity, doing, you know, earning the awards, getting the scholarships, doing everything I possibly could to earn that love from my dad that I felt that I never had growing up because he left, right? And so once it got to the age where I started to develop an image of myself and my body and an understanding of how that interacts with the world around me, how it interacts with girls, how you, you know, you want to be the prettiest. You want to be the alpha female because you don't get picked on and bullied when you're the alpha female. And I wanted to be the, the most, you know, beautiful, attractive girl that was really sexually expressed because that's how you get the attention of boys, right? And so the combination of those things and then this like perfectionist mentality turned this really ugly mirror back on myself to be like, you, you are not perfect. Your body is not perfect. You got to clean that up because otherwise you're not going to be respected by other women and you're not going to get the love that you want from boys. And so from the age of probably, I want to say 15 or 16, I started restricting. I would lose a ton of weight and then gain it back. And I would go through these cycles. And for me, it was understanding that this was all about being worthy of love. This was all about trying to earn approval from anybody that I deemed to be important in my life. And eventually it became a way for me to control what I felt was uncontrollable in my life. Because if I could control my workout, if I could control what I ate, if I could manage my calories, if I could do all of these things and be so perfectionist about everything that I did, then I would have some sense of control over myself, which meant I would have some sense of control over the people that I was trying to earn approval from. So for me, it was all about people pleasing, approval, safety, and wanting to be loved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So step four is really doing the deeper healing work because when you do yeah. that, it, it really allows you to no longer like turn to food for emotional coping and to check mm -hmm. out and to numb. Um, and not that like turning to food is like a bad thing. Like there, it's fine to like want some mm -hmm. ice cream to cheer you up. That's not what mm -hmm. we're saying. Yep. But really getting to the deeper components of what is going on in your life really allows you to heal, mm -hmm. heal this in a very powerful way where you're really free Right. from that, the constraints that it has. It allows you to really become confident in who you are. And that's a really big component of body image work. Mm -hmm. It's not changing your body or changing what your body looks like. It really comes from changing the relationship you have with yourself. So that's really what this is about, is what step four is about. Um, so why don't we dive into step five? Yeah, absolutely. So once I had done all of this inner work, I had probably invested close to what I spent on my bachelor's degree. Like, I invested the amount of money, like honestly, the amount of money I invested back into myself outside of just my academic education was so much more valuable because it allowed me to tap back into the fact that I am not here on this earth just to suffer. I am not here on this earth just to struggle with my body and this, my relationship with food. I am not here just to be something pretty to look at. I am not here just to be, you know, constantly seeking the approval and praise and love from other people. I am here for a specific reason. And that's why I have gone through all of the struggle that I have gone through. 
it has been a lesson in life to teach me what my purpose is. And my purpose is to help other women with this struggle. So for me, step five was connecting to the fact that I am not here to suffer. I am here to do big things with my life. We have so much potential as women to impact the world around us. And we, we neglect that ability because we convince ourselves that we are only here to, you know, be a certain size, be beautiful, fit into society standards of beauty and, you know, play small, play small. We are here to play big. We are here to play big. If you asked yourself, this is your one life, what am I going to do with it? The reason has to be big enough to pull you through all of this work that we're talking about. And that's ultimately what step five is about is connecting with the fact that you are a powerful divine embodiment in a woman's embodiment that is going to go out and change the world. You're going to go out and make a difference in the lives of those around you. And that's what step five is all about. Yeah. You know, there's one of these, there's a quote by a mutual life coach that both Tristan and I have Mm. worked with. Her name's Brandilyn Tebow. And it's one of my favorite quotes. And it says, we don't need to solve our problems. We only need to find problems bigger than ourselves. The antidote to self-consciousness is not self-improvement, but Mm -hmm. other consciousness. Mm -hmm. And other consciousness is that something bigger. So one of the most incredibly instrumental components of me being able to rise above my problems with food was finding a problem bigger than the size of my body. Mm -hmm. Like I just needed to find something that I cared about so much. I was so emotionally moved by this vision that I saw for the world and for myself and for my life that I was like, oh, I don't have time, you know, for this food shit. I don't have time to hate myself. Yeah. I got big shit to tend to, you know, and like that, uh, like emotionally moved me. Mm -hmm. And it actually really wasn't until I found that something bigger. And I want to be like full transparency. It's changed. I've been in a recovery. It's allowed to change. (laughs) I've been in a recovered state. I believe in full recovery um, for eight or nine years now. And so my something bigger has really morphed over the years. But having something that I really cared about to throw myself into, to channel my energy into is Mm -hmm. really what has continued to pull me forward and to Mm -hmm. continue to invest in myself and my growth. It's Mm -hmm. what allows me to not let my fears get the best of me. Whenever I'm like in self-doubt or I don't feel like I'm enough because I still have that shit, I'm human. I remember what it is that I'm here to do. I remember what it is that I want for myself, what I want for the other people that I'm here to serve. Mm-hmm. I reconnect myself to the vision that I have and the difference that I want to make. And I'm like, okay, like, yeah, I'm scared. Yeah, I'm anxious. Yeah, sometimes I don't think I'm enough. And I can sit in those negative t- self-talk, you know, mm-hmm. and I can go down that self-doubt spiral, mm-hmm. or I can just remind myself what I'm here to do and go do the damn thing. Yeah. And so my something bigger, I've had like five, like it was climbing the corporate ladder for a while. I was Mm -hmm. like, you know, and I really climbed the corporate ladder. I was like really passionate about my career. And then it became about owning a restaurant. Then it became about writing a book, having a health coaching practice. I just wrote my second book. Like it's, it's changed. It's been about, you know, helping women step into their power and their purpose, right? Like not following the rules of the patriarchy, not Mm -hmm. living within the status quo, Mm -hmm. not believing that they're not worthy to take up space if they're not 
if they don't look a certain way. Like that is the most oppressive narrative on planet fucking earth. It oppresses women. It makes them fight against themselves instead of fighting for the difference they want to make in the world. And Mm I am fucking sick of it. So I am here (laughs) to support women and doing what they want to do and rising into their bigness as a human being instead of playing by these oppressive rules that are just there to make us feel shitty about ourselves and then buy a bunch of products that don't work to -hmm. try to make it better. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's all I have to say. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ultimately we want to help women to tap into that desire that they have in themselves, because I believe every woman has a part of them where they want more. Yeah. You are allowed to want more. This is your official permission slip to want more from your life. And if you feel like you're playing small, this is your opportunity right now. And if you are not at the point where you're in a place of confidence to see the power of impact that you have for yourself, ask yourself, okay, is this struggle what I'm meant to do with my life? Is this struggle that I have going on right now? Is this the thing that I'm meant to do with my life? And we are both going to tell you that it's not. It's not the thing that you are meant to do with your life, which opens up a world of possibility for you to figure out what it is for. So if nothing else, if nothing else, these steps are going to help you realize that this struggle is not your life's purpose. This is going to unleash you so that you can open up your creative realm and decide from a place of desire what it is that will make you feel the most fulfilled and then start to create that in your life. Yeah. I was just going to say, I'd love it in the chat box. If you guys wanted to put some of the things that you're passionate about, like outside and food and body stuff, like what are some of the things that you really care about in this world um, that could possibly inspire you about step five, you know? Yes. And um, why don't we dive into the Q&As that we do have here, so. Cool. Yeah, and also, guys, with what Kara was just saying, if you have ideas, but you don't have any concrete action steps put in place, throw those ideas out there of something that would make you so happy if you did in your life, and maybe we can throw some brainstorm ideas out there and just, like, get the gears turning. So, literally, anything you want support with, throw it up in the chat box. Yeah. Okay. So the first question I have here, what are your top self-reflecting tools? Mm. Uh, for me, it's actually been working with coaches because, been a- uh, because they've been able to reflect back to me and be a mirror for me and hold space for me. So honestly, like my top self-reflecting tools has always actually been working with other people or going to workshops. Mm-hmm. I journal here and there and I meditate and you know, I will exercise and that will give me epiphanies. But honestly, like the real big thing that has really helped me get to know myself more has been investing in the help of other people, like other experts to, to support me and unraveling all of the shit in my brain, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I would say if you haven't done any personal development or inner work or trauma release, if you've never worked with anybody before, that is a great place to start. Now, once you've worked with somebody that can help you to understand the way that your mind works and the way that it's going to want to step in and try and take control whenever you try and change something, because ultimately what this work is, is it's, you're creating change in your life. You're creating transformation. So it's very challenging to understand what is possible and what is just fear. 
So that's what working with somebody can help you do is they are not emotionally attached to the struggle that you're going through. So they are able to offer you helpful support in order to start to take action and unravel all of those beliefs. Now, once you've worked with somebody and you have a good understanding of what is fear, what is action in the place of fear, and what is you know, actually what you believe to be possible for yourself, that's when more of like the self-care and the rituals can come into play because they support, it's basically supporting that education that you've already gotten from working with the coaches. So one thing that I do is I do morning pages. I do three mornings of, three pages of morning pages every single morning. So I wake up, I make my coffee, I sit down and I just do stream of consciousness. Sometimes it's brainstorming for my business. Sometimes it's talk, it's writing about something that I'm struggling with or, um, a fear that I have or a challenging life circumstance. So that really helps me to like spend time with myself, especially being that I tend to run a little anxious. <laughs> it helps me to get into my body and unravel that anxiety so that I can put in place action steps that will empower me to continue towards the big vision that I have. Mm -hmm. um, I would say another thing that's been huge for me in a terms of reflection has been physically moving my body, especially dancing. Because when you move your body, if you're somebody that struggles with anxiety, when you move your body, what you're actually doing is you're literally moving whatever energy is trapped and you're letting it release. So when you dance and you move or you exercise, you go for a walk, you run, it moves that trapped energy. So then you're able to really understand what the anxiety is about instead of just being trapped in the experience of feeling anxious. So those would be the two big things. You love dancing too? Yeah, girl. <laughs> I'm a dancing queen. I love it. <laughs> yeah, Tristan's fucking a wild woman. <laughs> um, hope you're not listening at work with all my F-bombs. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but um, so, you, so we have a couple of questions in here about like budget-friendly things. Hmm. So I think groups, so there's a, there's a few things here. Like podcasts have like literally helped, podcasts oh, are yeah. free, assuming you pay for a smartphone. Um, podcasts have been instrumentally helpful. And often whenever a podcaster like will say, do these journal exercises or ask yourself these questions or like, like I will like literally do them. So like I have utilized free resources, uh, to the best of my ability. So, you know, when a pod, when there's a podcast on a topic that I'm struggling with or that I want to grow in, I will like go and invest time in actually doing what the podcaster says. So yes. a couple of you guys here have mentioned like money and budget. So there's this five part money mindset podcast series on sexy soul radio by Caitlin Pasternak. And it's like five episodes where she talks about transforming your money mindset. Mm. And I like literally calendared myself out on a Friday evening and yeah. like lit some candles and like listened to all five of the podcast episodes and literally did the work that she said. Yep. So that's a great option for you guys. Um, Check your local areas for um, Eating Disorder Anonymous meetings or Anorexic Lemix Anonymous meetings. Mm -hmm. uh, those are free that you can mm -hmm. attend. Um, 
what else is budget friendly? And then just like group seminars. So like you can go to a really amazing group seminar, like you can Google around for different seminars and workshops and they're much more cost effective because they're with a larger group. Mm -hmm. So like my first personal development work, like I didn't have the fine, the financial ability to invest in personal coaching like I do now when I was in my early twenties. So I would go to large seminars that were just, you know, a couple of hundred bucks, um, that I could invest in and, um, got tremendous value out of those. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you can't afford one-on-one, look for group stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say another great option is to use social media and find people that you really connect with their personality. Like find people who you feel like you want to be their best friend. And I can guarantee that if you connect with them in terms of personality and they're offering value about something that you're struggling with, the more that you watch their content, you watch their stories, you read their posts, maybe they have a website, maybe they have a YouTube channel, maybe they have a podcast, the more that you engage with their stuff because you have that level of interest with who they are and you have that level of trust because you feel like your personalities mesh really well, you're going to get a lot of value from the content they put out. So for me, one big thing was finding people on Instagram that I felt like I couldn't get enough of their personality. I always wanted to pop on and watch their stories. They were entertaining. They were fun. Like that's the stuff that I magnetized to. So finding those people, doing some digging on Facebook and social media, and then really engaging with their content. Because if you think about it, these people that are coaches, we put out so much free content because we want to help. We want to help. And we know that budget is going to be an issue for some people. And maybe in the future, it won't be an issue and you'll be able to invest in yourself or you'll be able to, you know, take a bigger leap into this recovery process. And there's so much free stuff out there. There's so many good people that want to help. And I'm kind of LOLing because like you literally slid into my DMs and was like, hey, you're cool. Want to grab lunch? Literally. Yeah. And like, here we are. Seriously. (laughs) And I didn't know that this is like what you did. I had no idea, but I loved your personality. So I reached out to you and then we became friends and then you started coaching around eating disorders and I'm like, oh shit. Okay. Well, time to, time to go, you know? (laughs) So yeah. yeah. There's so much free stuff out there. That you guys, you putting in your passions in here, protecting the planet, inspiring others to live their best life, healing others. Like you are some badass women in here, by the way. Mm -hmm. Like you guys are so inspiring massively with your passions. And Sunny, Sunny put up, I do voice notes and just talk out loud. Yeah. Love that. That's a huge point that helps you overcome anxious thoughts because a lot of the time, the unreasonable nature of your anxious thoughts is because it's, it's inside. You're yeah. not externalizing it. So once you speak it out into existence and you can hear the fear and you can hear yourself being like, wow, that's, that's actually kind of crazy. Like that would never actually happen. Or you get to kind of like reel yourself back in. That's, that's a great tip. That's yeah. a great tip. Also, I would say something that like just having fun, in your life is also, um, prioritizing joy and prioritizing fun is also a potentially budget friendly thing for you guys to do is to prioritize your joy and and have fun. So like me back in the day, and I still to this day, both Tristan and I, big music fans, go dancing, (laughs) listen to music, go to music festivals, like, you know, going to the farmer's market, all of these things. Um, Mm -hmm. but we have some other questions in here. 
from Hannah. Did you ever have days where you had no motivation to move towards your goals in recovery? If so, what did you do on those days? Yes. (laughs) Honestly, (laughs) Hannah, I still have days like that right now in life where I'm like, what am I doing? Like, you know, being an, an entrepreneur and owning a business, like I still have days where I'm like, what am I doing? Or where I'm like, I just don't even want to look at it. So Mm -hmm. I want you to know that it's okay to have, I guess what I'm saying is it's okay to have those days. Yeah. So back in the day, let me think about what I did back in the day, Tristan, while you answer. Yeah. So Hannah, for me, um, it's beautiful because Kara and I have opposite opinions on this, but we both preach from the same love of helping women heal. I don't think you necessarily have to fully recover in order to take action in your life. So if you feel like you have days where you don't feel motivated towards your goals and your recovery, that's okay. It's part of the human experience. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to make progress every single day. Sometimes just sitting with where you are is the progress and letting yourself feel what you have to feel is the progress. Because if you're constantly pushing yourself to do better, be better, you know, reach this next level of recovery, not think about it, you're not letting, you're, if, if that's the goal, then you're missing the opportunity to really experience each new level of healing. And so sometimes just being where you're at is the work yeah. and not letting yourself regress is the work, right? I have days where my old habits come up where I want to calorie track, or I want to step on the scale, or I want to talk about how, you know, whatever, whatever. I want to talk about old things that held me down. And in that moment for me, realizing it's a slippery slope, it's not worth it. I'm so happy with where I am and I'm not going back. That's the work for the day. And that's good enough. Yeah. Yeah. I think just giving yourself permission to have those days is, is the growth is instead of beating yourself up is knowing that like, this is how I'm feeling right now. And maybe I can discover why I'm not feeling motivated. You know, am I afraid? Am I just tired? Am I exhausted? Mm -hmm. Have I not been engaging in any self-care? Like Mm -hmm. I think just allowing those days to exist is what to do on those days. Yes. And to take as best of care of yourself on those days as you can. Mm -hmm. And honestly, and also for me, like i I'm a nonstop talker. So I will call every single possible girlfriend who would be willing to hold space for me. That's mm-hmm. what I do on my days, you know, back in the day too, it was just reaching out for help and also letting those days be okay. Mm-hmm. Giving myself permission to have them. Yeah. So Sunny asked a question. What if you've moved past your disordered eating, but still have the feeling of waiting for a certain body? Yes. Before doing certain things and facing your fears, how can we move past that? Just do the damn things anyway. Mm. Okay. You want it? You have your answer. So I have a question for you. What do you think is going to be different about your life? once your body is whatever it is that you're envisioning. So you're no longer acting detrimentally towards yourself. You're not in the depths of eating disorder anymore. And this question leads me to believe that the confidence in your body is still not quite where you want it to be. That leads me to believe that there's still some work that needs to be done in terms of really embodying confidence in the body that you have right now. Because the longer you wait for it to change, the more time that you're wasting in your life and the less that you're getting to participate in. 
And ultimately you don't want to live a life of regret and you get to live a life of possibility when you just embody the confidence that you, you think you could have once your body is different embody it right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think you have to give yourself permission to stop waiting, Mm -hmm. you know, and you Mm -hmm. have to, um, do the mindset work, you know, like I think there's mindset work here around, um, believing that you are worthy and deserving of doing those things right now. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes when we're waiting for a certain body, it's reflective of an objection to body acceptance. Mm -hmm. So I invite you to take uh, some time to reflect on what are my objections to accepting my body right now? Do I think that um, I can't love myself? Do I have objections around other people loving me? Do I have objections around my health? You know, like, what about my health? Like, what are your objections to accepting your body? And Mm -hmm. see if you can overcome those objections so that you have permission to stop waiting. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also connecting to your self-worth outside of what your body looks like. So you said, how can you move past it? You know, really getting connected to your worth regardless of what you look like, like your inherent worthiness and your enoughness is also um, some practical thing, like a practical tip. It's just remembering who you are and your worth. And then yes, doing the damn thing. Mm-hmm. So part of it. Mm-hmm. Start to take action now on the things that you're waiting for. Yeah. Literally start to take action now because eventually you'll realize I don't need to look any different to do this. It's the fear that's holding you back right now that something is not going to work the way that you want it to if your body doesn't look the way that you think it needs to. So mm-hmm. just start to take action now. And that's mm-hmm. going to help you to break through that fear. And it's also going to help to cultivate that confidence that you're seeking by changing your body. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And also look for women online who have bodies that look like yours that are doing the damn thing. Mm-hmm. because they're going to give you permission and they're going to show you what's possible for you. So if find other women that look similar to you that are doing the thing so that you can see that it's possible for yourself also, mm-hmm. you know, and that's also, you know, a term for that is exposure therapy is when you expose yourself. Um, and then just, you know, finding other inspiring figures like would be really helpful, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. Next question. What was it like for each of you in the beginning to go public with your stories? Was it an easy decision or maybe not? And then separately, I'm super passionate about my research using sports as a platform for peace building. I love that. And positive oh, use development. Cool. You guys are so badass. Cool. I'm reading all of your, yeah, we should be friends. Can we be friends? Can we all wear unicorn horns and go out and party together? <laughs> I'm expecting to get a unicorn horn in the mail from you very soon, Justin. <laughs> Um, okay. So what was it like? Honestly, it was fucking terrifying, Anna. Um, I didn't tell people for a really, really long time because I was so ashamed and I was so afraid of judgment. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was really, really scary, but honestly opening, once I started opening up, I couldn't stop. (laughs) I, I was like, I, it was like, I was kinking my hose for so long and the pressure was building up. And then once I like unkinked the hose. It was like, (laughs) you know, like I just couldn't stop. So I started with someone really safe. So I, I started with my best friend and then I saw a therapist for about five times. And then I stopped going to therapy because of lots of reasons. Um, (laughs) and then I started going into personal development work, but honestly, like it, it was really scary 
but once I opened up and I, and I was so well received by my best friend, um, it really helped me. However, that said, the very first time I opened up, I was rejected. So I want to be honest with that. I told my parents years before I, I ended up like really doing the recovery work years before I told my parents that I was struggling and that I wanted to go to rehab and my parents didn't take me seriously, like full transparency. Like my mom kind of told me to get over it and was like, all girls worry about your weight. You'll be fine. And this was like in the middle of my parents' super messy divorce. So their rejection and not acknowledgement of what I was dealing with pushed me down further. And so I hid, I kept it secret for like another three or four years. So um, I'm sharing that because if at first you're not well received, find someone else. Don't, please don't do what I did and, you know, shrink up even more for, and suffer for years more. Um, find someone who you trust. And honestly, if the first person doesn't respond with what you need, find someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, and honestly, you'll feel, in my opinion, you'll likely feel better after opening up a, you know, when you find that person who receives you with love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So because I identify as being more, having that inclination towards being more of like a perfectionist, do it yourself, not going to be vulnerable, not going to open up, not going to share. I hid my struggle for so long, even when I had my friends take me to the hospital. I didn't talk about the fact that it was a problem. I brushed it under the rug and I act like everything was fine. And when I came back, I act like a totally different person, like everything was fine. And honestly, looking back now, I wish, I wish I could have been brave enough to just say that I wasn't okay and to just say that I was struggling because I put myself through so much unnecessary hell because I didn't want to admit that I had a problem. So that's the resistance like piece coming up. And once I finally did start to open up and talk about it, it made me realize that the illusion of perfection is so damaging. It's so damaging and it holds you back in so many ways and it makes you feel so isolated. So once I started to open up and share, I realized, I think it was probably at you know, I talked to Kara first. She was one of the first person that I started to talk to about it. And then when I really, <laughs> yeah, when I really, really opened up was at one of my first women's retreats, which was like a healing focused women's retreat with our life, life coach, Brandy. And being in community with other women and hearing their stories made me realize, wow, not talking about what I'm struggling with is is really lonely and it makes me kind of seem like I'm unrelatable and that I, you know, am better than everybody else. And the reality is that we all struggle with something. It, we all have our own flavor of struggle. And so just admitting that you're struggling allows you to connect on a really deep level that's actually really meaningful. So for me, the, the hardest part wasn't necessarily, <laughs> I would say the hardest part was just admitting like just opening up and admitting that I was struggling. Mm. So it was not easy. It felt disgusting. I wanted to crawl out of my skin. I wanted to hide. I would get embarrassed. Like I internalized all of my anxiety. So I would get like an upset stomach and I would get sick and I wouldn't sleep. Like 
it's not great. And the best analogy would probably be like, you're literally going through a transformation. So like the butterfly, when you're in a cocoon, you have to turn into total goo and like turn into this disgusting blob of goo before you can transform into the person that you actually are. So I was a blob of goo and it was not fun, but now, you know, that phase is over (laughs) and it was so worth it. I would do it a thousand times over you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I want a second that it's worth it. Sometimes it gets worse before you get better. You become a Mm -hmm. ball of goo. Mm -hmm. Then you get to be a a butterfly with enough time in in that healing cocoon. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, Megan says she's passionate about changing the outlook on women in the dance world, even more specifically the ballroom. It's not about the way you look in a dress, but your passion and talent. Yeah. Heck yeah. That's a beautiful, beautiful, like it's not about the way that you look in your body. It's about your passion mm-hmm. and your talent. Like same mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Love that, mm-hmm. Megan. Yep. Yep. Um, okay. Awesome. And then let's see, there's a and a here. Do you think it's necessary to have professional help on this journey? Yes. I do. I personally do. I'm just going to, yeah, I don't, I could not have done this by myself. I tried to do it by myself and you know what? It took me three years. It took me three years of trying to do it myself of being like, well, okay, I'm not going to exercise for three hours a day anymore. That's improvement. Yeah, it was, it was for sure. And I was still struggling on the inside. I was still hating myself on the inside and that's what needs the professional support. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that um, I recommend getting help of some kind, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's a therapist, a coach, you join um, an anonymous group, um, you do personal development, like you go to retreats. Like, I do I think that it's like necessary? I mean, I don't know because I've never not, I've, I've gotten the help. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I've invested in myself and I. Do, I can say with the utmost confidence that I would not be where I am today Mm-mm. without the help that I've received, mm-hmm. without the investment in my personal development and in my growth, I wouldn't be here. Does it, does that mean that I couldn't get to this spot eventually? Yeah. It probably just would take me a hell of a lot longer. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I think that it's just, it's going to take way longer if you don't seek help. And I think that it's more difficult. And I think that it's really easy for your fears to take over when you don't have that safe space mm-hmm. to go and turn to, to get help. Because, um, so I think like my, like, yes, I think it's necessary. Um, can you do it on your own? Probably. It's just going to take a hell of a lot longer. Long time. Long it's just going to take longer. Yeah. Um, but there's resources out there. You know, you can do the intuitive eating workbook. You can read intuitive eating. You can read books. Like you can listen to podcasts and all of those things are going to help you. But truly, I don't think I, there's no way I'd be where I am today mm-hmm. uh, with the confidence that I have, with the business that I have, with the girlfriends that I have, the relationships that I have, the confidence yeah. in food, the confidence in my body, the ability to like have my body change and still be like absolutely cool with who I am. Like I wouldn't have been able to be in this place without the help. Right. And I'm not saying that to like sell services to you. I'm just sharing that. It's the truth. Yeah. I mean, that's our experience. Yeah. And the other thing I want to add to that is that you do not have to follow the path that somebody else followed in terms of, you know, if somebody worked with a psychotherapist, but that makes you feel so like it makes you feel a way that you don't want to feel or you don't enjoy it find a coach 
or find a support system who you jive with on a spiritual personal level because the more intimate you feel with that person and the more you trust them, the greater the transformation you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So let's answer this one last question from Sunny and then we'll wrap this up because we've officially been on here an hour, ladies. Yes. <laughs> so let's answer this last question from Sunny and then we'll wrap this up. So yeah. she says, can you speak more on the sisterhood wound? How did you begin to heal that? Any tips? Um, mm. Do you want to go first, Boo? Yeah, I can go first. So my sisterhood wound was because I was bullied in high school or, uh, I think I was in middle school, actually. It probably ended around my freshman year. But all through middle school, I was bullied. I was called a slut. I was called a whore. I was called a skank. I had mean things like mean notes shoved into my locker. I had people sending me AIM messages when AIM was still a thing. Like people would come up to me at football games and tell me, well, I think you're a whore, you know? So my sisterhood wound was all around the fact that when you are who you actually want to be, which for me for whatever reason, I was really sexually expressed at a young age. Like I just had a very strong sense of my sexuality and I wanted to express that. And for me, it was, the wound was around when I am who I am, when I express who I actually am, this is how women treat me. This is how women treat you when you show up exactly as you are. They taunt you, they bully you, they try and push you down. And that stayed with me throughout my whole life. And that's part of the reason why I internalized everything. I didn't trust people. I didn't trust people to open up. So the way that I started to heal it was participating in specifically women-oriented healing programs. I did retreats. I did women's retreats. I worked with female coaches. I... mm, joined different types of groups locally. I surrounded myself with supportive women where I knew that we could be vulnerable and open with each other. And it was realizing that, you know, the reason for the competition and the reason why people want to hurt and try and hurt is because they're hurting themselves. And ultimately realizing that we're all hurting and surrounding yourself with women that actually want to support and heal and love you for who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My sisterhood wound was, I just had um, multiple instances with women, friends where we got in fights and I ended up being the one that got, was isolated. And it was like me Kicked against out. the group. Yep. And, uh, I'm not going to pretend like I was innocent. Like I definitely had a role to play mm-hmm. in the one that like everyone was like, um, bye, you're no longer a part of the group. I'm not like innocent, obviously. Um, but I had these falling out with my friends in Mm -hmm. first one was like in second grade. And then I had a really big public one, my junior year of high school with my best friend of like 10 years. And, um, and then I had an, um, a less direct one with women in my twenties who, um, were, who like isolated me because some of the boys in their group liked me. And so they didn't want me around. Mm -hmm. So I had these instances where women ganged up on me. And so I just decided that women weren't safe. And I just decided that I was a guy's girl. I just get along better with guys, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, which is such, it's bullshit now. Um, So I was afraid of women and I kept women at arm's length and I didn't be vulnerable with them. I didn't open up with them. I didn't try to cultivate friendships with them because I was afraid of rejection. Like I was so afraid of rejection. So I did everything alone, pretending like I was misindependent woman who didn't need nobody. Mm -hmm. And you know, like 
I just did a lot of big things alone, like travel to Thailand by myself, like London, England by my, like I, you know, moved to Australia by myself. I was just like, I'm going to be alone because I'm independent. I don't need nobody. And eventually I realized I was really fucking lonely. Lonely. Lonely as shit. And so I had to understand what was at play and I had to realize that I was afraid of rejection and that's why I didn't cultivate friendships. Mm-hmm. And I based my self-worth on the man that I was dating and I needed to cultivate self-worth in who I was so that I wasn't so reliant on having a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. So my sisterhood wound was just I was I just felt like women were going to reject me and they didn't like me. Mm-hmm. And healing it was recognizing it and then being honest about the fact that I wanted deeper friendships with women and seeking that out. So I found like my first big group of friends, like women, good friends, like at a party, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, we just bonded over drinks and dancing. Yep. Same and here. I, I like opened up with them and I'm like, I don't have a lot of good girlfriends and yep. you guys look like you're amazing friends. And I really want to be your friend. Like, can we, can I please be your friend? Mm-hmm. Like, I literally think that that's probably what I said. So I just had to be open about the fact that I was wounded because of past experiences. I needed to heal that wound and then go after what I wanted, which was friendships with women. And so like Tristan, I did women's retreats and I have so many fucking female friends now. And it's like so amazing. Coming out the hoo-ha, like so many female friends and it's amazing. amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Like women are amazing. And, and honestly, I don't know how you could not have sister, like, look, can you not have sisterhood in your life? Yes. I didn't have it for a long time and having it, my life is just so incredible now. Exponentially better. And it's exponentially better. And I'm really grateful for sisterhood. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Was this awesome for you guys? Did you enjoy this? Let us know. Let us know. We had so much. I had fun. Did you have fun? Yeah. This was a blast. This is a lot of fun. To spend a morning. Yeah. Afternoon for you. It was amazing. Oh, Hannah, good. Yes. And you guys, you um, can reach out to either of us with any questions that you need. We are like, we're helpers through and through. We want to help make the world better. We want to help you feel more powerful and confident. So please reach out to us. We going to be your friends. Okay. We going to be your friends. (laughs) Yes. Yes. All right. All right. All right. I hope you got a lot of value out of that. Again, if you want to get a worksheet with the five steps laid out for you, just shoot me a DM on Instagram at Kara's Kitchen, Kara with a C, Kitchen with a K. And I will send you the link to get that. And if you like this, please let me know. Please leave a ratings and review on iTunes. Share it on your Instagram stories. Tag Tristan and I. We would love that. And as always, thank you so much for spending some of your time with me today. I'm so grateful and I will see you guys all next week. Bye.